Chapter 3. Abortion. Abortion is the deliberate intentional termination of a human pregnancy. The question about the morality and legality of abortion stems from the life growing within the woman. Those in favor of abortion will often wrongly attribute pro-life arguments as being religious-based arguments and then dismiss them without consideration because they do not believe in God. To prevent this mistake, before each section I clearly articulate if the logic is based in scientific logic and has nothing to do with theology, or theological logic that only applies if you believe in Christianity. The first 14 sections are entirely secular and have no basis in theology. Only the last two sections are theological. Section 1. Secular Logic. Life Begins at Conception. Scientifically, by definition, life begins at conception. Every biology book is in agreement that a life begins at fertilization. It's impossible to believe in the science of biology and deny that the fertilized egg is the life. In fact, to deny that the fertilized egg is life makes one a science denier on the same level as someone who believes the earth is flat or that the sun revolves around the earth. For those who deny science, Sarah Terzo has compiled a list of 41 quotes from medical textbooks that all are clear that life begins at conception. See the citation. Another interesting study was done by Steve Jacobs, who interviewed 5,577 biologists about when human life begins as part of his Ph.D. from the University of Chicago, entitled Balancing Abortion Rights and Fetal Rights, a Mixed Methods Mediation of the U.S. Abortion Debate. The result of the study found that 96% of biologists agree that scientifically human life begins at conception. Of the 4% that disagreed, they disagreed out of fear of political repercussions and not on the grounds of science or biology. Those that disagreed, some responses that he published from those who would wish to deny science on political grounds were, Is this a study funded by Trump and the Ku Klux Klan? I sure hope you aren't one of those effing Christians. Is this some stupid right to life thing? Yuck! I believe in the right to choose! Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. The actual purpose of this survey became very clear. I will do my best to disseminate this info to make sure that none of my naive colleagues fall into this trap. Sorry, this looks like it's more a religious survey to be used to misinterpret by radicals to advertise about the beginning of life and not a survey about what faculty know about biology. Your advisor can contact me. The scientific definition of when life begins is very important to distinguish the new life in the womb from a clump of cells. A fertilized egg is nothing like a cluster of cancer cells. Both are made of cells, but the former is scientifically a new life, a life that is separate from that of the mother, while the latter is part of the woman's body. The fertilized egg, the life growing inside the woman, can be compared at a high level to a botfly larva. Although not flattering to the embryo, both the embryo and the botfly are lives separate from that of the woman, and yet both need the woman's body to survive. Granted, the botfly will emerge and fly away after 5 to 12 weeks, while the child will take 18 to 35 years to fly away, depending on if the child is taught personal responsibility. One important note here about the creation of life. Scientifically, life begins at conception and is the result of sexual intercourse. The woman and man has started life, but they have not created life in the way that a woman who builds a shed has created the shed. They have only begotten life. This is a very important distinction. When a woman builds a shed, 
It is her shed, and she has the right to then tear it down if she desires. She created it, and thus she has full rights over it. But a man and woman who has successfully had sex has started a new life, but they have not created life any more than a woman who has successfully installed the Windows operating system on a computer has created the Windows operating system, which was created by Microsoft. A woman does not need to understand the intricacies of how an operating system handles synchronization, communication, and scheduling in parallel systems to install the Windows operating system, but she would if she wanted to create the Windows operating system. Likewise, a woman doesn't need to understand how blood clots in humans, the thrombohemorrhagic balance that leads to hemostasis through the cascade of proenzymes leading to the activation of downstream enzymes, and the complicated interactions between coagulation in the fibronelic system, platelets, and vessel walls. In fact, no one does. Blood clotting is so complicated, there are still many mysteries that have yet to be solved about how blood clotting works. It is ludicrous to say that by installing the Windows operating system, she has created the Windows operating system, and it is likewise ludicrous to say that a man or woman who has successfully had sex has created life. They have merely begotten life. A good example of why this distinction is important can be seen in the Declaration of Independence where it says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The right to life is not endowed by your mother and father who have successfully had sex. Otherwise, it would also be their right to take back the right to life whenever they pleased, be it before birth or after birth. But the right to life, instead, comes from the Creator. Regardless of if one believes that life, with complexity that far exceeds anything that mankind can design, is the result of a random and unguided process, or the result of a guided process, life is not created by a man and woman who has successfully had sex. They have merely begotten another human life, and they do not have the rights over that life that the Creator has. Section 2. Secular Logic what is human life? So then the question is, is the life growing within the human also human life? And if it is human life, should it be given the same respect and unalienable rights that all human life has? To answer this, we must first acknowledge that humans have a number of stages of development. All humans spend time as human babies, and then become human children, and then grow into human adults. And, incredibly, as seen in my generation, millennials appear to have created a new stage in human development, the adult child, where the human has the personal responsibility and accountability of a child, but has the age of an adult. But in all stages of human life, the human never ceases to be human. Although a human adult is more capable than a human baby, a human baby is not any less human than a human adult. So then we consider the life which is started at conception and ends at the birth of a human baby, the human fetus. If a human baby human child, and human adult are all human, despite being stages in a human's development, then a human fetus, being also a stage in human development, must also be a human. There is nothing else a human fetus can be except human. Section 3. Secular Logic. The Requirement for Human Life. One argument made by those who support a woman's right to kill her unborn child centers around the additional requirements for something to be considered human. Although, scientifically, the requirement to be considered human is that you were beget by humans, they add additional requirements like consciousness, a heartbeat, or breathing. The argument is that until a human fetus has consciousness, or a heartbeat, or is breathing, that the human fetus is not human. 
They're not arguing that it isn't life. They argue these are additional requirements to be considered human life, beyond just being begat by humans. They then argue that ending the life of the unborn human fetus is not the same as killing a human because they don't have consciousness, a heartbeat, or breath. But this logic breaks down when applied to, to other situations. When a human is put into a medically induced coma, or when a human is asleep, they are not conscious, and yet they are still human, and may not be killed because ending their life would be convenient. The sleeping human and the unborn fetus both have the potential for consciousness, but the lack of consciousness is not grounds for ending the life of the sleeping or unconscious human, so it cannot be grounds for ending the life of a human fetus. The same goes with a heartbeat or breathing. If a human adult does not have a heartbeat and requires a pacemaker, or cannot breathe on their own but requires a device to help them breathe, they are still human and may not be killed out of convenience. Likewise, the human fetus, although it may not have developed enough to have a heartbeat, which takes just over five weeks to start, or functional lungs, that doesn't mean the human fetus isn't human. Scientifically, the only requirement for a human life is to be begotten by humans. Humans beget humans. Section 4. Secular Logic. Nothing to do with a woman's body. One of the most ridiculous things that has been said when discussing the morality of abortion is that it's a woman's body so she can do whatever she wants. The point is entirely moot. No one is arguing that a woman doesn't have rights over her own body. A woman, or man, has the right as an adult to do whatever they want to their own body, and no one is trying to restrict a woman's right to her body. The question, when it comes to abortion, is if the woman has rights over the separate body that is growing within her, and if ending that life has moral considerations. When people say a woman has rights over her own body when defending abortion, it's either because they are ignorant of the fact that the question isn't about her body in the first place, or they know better and maliciously trying to obfuscate the real issue because they want to be able to end the life within them without having to consider the morality of that choice. When talking to someone about abortion rights, if they say, I believe a woman has rights over her own body, then we should smile and happily tell them, I'm glad we agree on that, and now that we've established common ground, now let's talk about an unrelated topic, abortion. No woman claims a botfly larva inside her body is her body, and no one sees an issue of morality when a woman chooses to end the life of the botfly that is growing within her because it is a botfly. The question never has been about her rights over her own body, but if she has absolute rights over the body of the human fetus growing within her. Section 5. Secular Logic. The Argument of the Slave Owner. Then the argument for abortion becomes if the woman has the right to decide if the life growing within her is a human or not. Incidentally, Ben Shapiro points out that this is the exact same argument made by slave owners. It's my property. I decide if it's a person or not. But if the slave owner doesn't have the right to decide if his or her slave is property instead of a person, then the woman also doesn't have the right to decide if the life within her is her property or a person. Thus, those who support abortion on the grounds that a woman has the right to decide if the life within them is a person or not is making the same immoral argument as the slave owner. But neither the slave owner nor the pregnant woman has the right to decide when a life is human or not. Humanity is an objective quality, not a subjective one. If the slave is a human, the slave owner has no right to say otherwise. If the unborn child is a human, the mother has no right to say otherwise. Section 6. Secular Logic. Rape and Incest. 
Human fetus resulting from rape and incest are often quoted as a reason for keeping abortions legal. In these rare and horrible cases, without abortion, the woman is forced to suffer an additional nine months of pregnancy as of a result of the terrible and horrific act. But the human fetus growing within her has done nothing wrong. The man who committed the act should be punished for the crime, for example via castration in jail, but killing a human fetus is not justified as a human fetus is an innocent bystander. In fact, if killing the unborn child was justified as punishment for the sins of the man, then one could argue that an unfaithful man would also be grounds again for an abortion, despite the conception being intentional. In both cases, the woman is hurt by the man and has his child, but the child has done nothing wrong. Beating an unborn child or a born child and ending the child's life is not justified in either case. Section 7. Secular Logic Contraceptives versus Morning After Contraceptives that prevent fertilization are not immoral, as life has not begun. However, logically and scientifically, methods that remove a fertilized egg is the purposeful and unjustified ending of a human life and would thus have the same moral implications as abortion. Section 8. Secular Logic. The Double Standard. Another interesting example of someone applying secular logic to abortion comes from the comedy routine of Dave Chappelle, making note of the, the double standard. During one of his comedy routines, after saying he doesn't care if a woman has an abortion, he says that if a woman has the right to decide if it's human or not, then men should also have the right to choose to pay child support or not. He then admits that if men don't have the right to decide if they want to pay child support, then maybe we have the logic of this whole thing entirely wrong. Section 9. Secular Logic. Abortion and the Death Penalty. Often those who support abortion will say that one cannot be anti-abortion and support the death penalty for criminals, but that is a non-sequitur. It does not logically flow that someone who opposes abortion must also oppose the death penalty for criminals. To support the death penalty, one is saying that people have the right to life, however it is possible for someone to do something that would cause them to forfeit their right to life, like the premeditated murder of another human. In the case when a criminal would be sentenced to death, an individual has forfeited his right to life because of their actions. The unborn human child has done nothing to forfeit his or her right to life. Thus, one can oppose abortion on the grounds that the unborn child has done nothing to deserve the death penalty but support the death penalty for criminals who have done something to forfeit their right to life. Section 10. Secular Logic. Abortion to Save Life. The only case that the death of a fetus could be justified is to save the life of the mother, but even in this rare case, every effort should be given to try and save the life of the unborn human child. Considering that babies have been shown to survive outside the womb as early as 20 weeks, it's incredibly unlikely that a woman will need to have the fetus aborted without an attempt for the survival of both. But if the case arose that the mother would die before the baby reached a viable age, then it would not be an issue of morality that the unborn child be killed to allow the mother to survive, rather than allow them both to die. This is also logically consistent, like all of the pro-life arguments. Here, the baby has lost his or her right to live by no intentional fault of their own, because he or she will kill the mother before it reaches 20 weeks. But having said that, this is never the case for late-term abortions. During the 2016 presidential debates, Democrat Hillary Clinton defended abortion in the third trimester because she claimed that there are sometimes necessary 
to save a woman's life. In response, Dr. Levitino, who committed over 1,200 abortions before becoming pro-life, pointed out that in the case when a woman's life is at risk, the doctor must act immediately. There is literally no time for an abortion. The child must be delivered right then. For a late-term abortion, the abortionist injects a drug called dioxygen through the baby's skull and into its brain while he's still in the womb. This kills the child. The woman then carries her dead child for two to three days while her cervix dilates, and the woman then goes into labor and delivers her dead son or daughter. In the case when a woman is at risk of dying, there is no time. The child must be cut away from the woman via cesarean section while still alive. There is no time for a late-term abortion when the woman's life is at risk, because you don't know if the woman has minutes or hours before having a major stroke. Another example that there is never a need for late-term abortions to save a woman's life came after Democrats in New York passed a law allowing abortions past 24 weeks to protect the mother. At 24 weeks, the child is viable outside the womb. It can be delivered. Dr. Omar Hamada, who has delivered over 2,500 babies, explained, There is not a single fetal or maternal condition that requires third trimester abortion. Not one. Delivery? Yes. Abortion? No. There is absolutely no medical reason to kill a near-term or late-term infant. If there's a problem, and there are problems during the third trimester, both with the babies and with the mom that require delivery, just deliver the baby. We don't have to kill it. And as Dr. David McKnight remarked, As a board-certified practicing OBGYN physician for over 30 years, I need to say publicly and unequivocally that there is never a medical reason to kill a baby at term. When complications of pregnancy endanger a mother's life, we sometimes must deliver the baby early, but it is always with the intent of doing whatever we can to do it safely for the baby too. The decision to kill an unborn baby at term is purely for convenience. It is murder. Section 11. Secular Logic. Legal Abortion. Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade was the landmark Supreme Court case that legalized abortion in America ruling that states must allow abortions until 24 weeks. The primary holding of the case ruled that a person may choose to have an abortion until the fetus becomes viable based on the right to privacy contained in the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. Viability means ability to live outside the womb, which usually happens between 24 and 28 weeks after conception. Before looking at the ruling, it should first be made clear that the Supreme Court may not make law. That's the purpose of the legislative branch of government. The purpose of the Supreme Court, the judicial branch of government, is to interpret the laws that are already exist. If politicians at the federal level wanted to legalize abortion and prevent states from having their own laws about abortion, which was the purpose of this Supreme Court case, they should have passed a law. To use the Supreme Court as a tool to make laws through a gross misinterpretation of existing law is a perversion of what was intended by the separation of powers of government. In Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court cites the right to privacy contained in the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment as the reason states may not make laws that make abortion illegal. That right to privacy, referenced in Roe v. Wade, comes from the Supreme Court ruling in 1961, Matt v. Ohio, where it was ruled that evidence gathered by law enforcement illegally without a warrant to search the private property is inadmissible in court. This ruling codified the right to protection from unreasonable search and seizure. 
What the Supreme Court is saying is that because a woman has a right to protection from unreasonable search and seizure, states cannot make laws against abortion. That is to say, because the law enforcement may not search a woman's body without just cause, the state cannot make abortions illegal. But that doesn't even make sense from jurisprudence of Matt v. Ohio. In Matt v. Ohio, the Supreme Court did not rule that Ohio was wrong for making the material illegal that was gathered as evidence against Mapp, but only that the evidence was inadmissible in court because it was gathered illegally. In Roe v. Wade, the Supreme Court instead ruled that the state can't even make an activity illegal because the woman has the right from unreasonable search and seizure. This is the equivalent of saying that because a woman has the right from unreasonable search and seizure in her home, states cannot make it illegal for women to kill their children in their home because they have the right to privacy. That's ridiculous. They can logically make the case from jurisprudence that the state may not search her body without a warrant, but to say they can't even make certain activities illegal because they cannot search without a warrant doesn't make any sense, nor does it follow jurisprudence. The second flaw in the ruling is that they claim that at 24 weeks, the fetus is viable outside the womb so states can make abortions illegal at that point. But if the woman has the right to an abortion because of the right to privacy contained in the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment, her right to privacy does not go away as the baby grows older. To make the claim that states can make abortions illegal after she is 24 weeks pregnant, they're making the claim that she no longer has the right to privacy contained in the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment that granted her abortion rights in the first place. The third problem with the ruling appears deeper in the text of the case itself, where they argued, Texas urges that, apart from the 14th Amendment, life begins at conception and is present throughout the pregnancy, and that, therefore, the state has a compelling interest in protecting that life from and after conception. We need not resolve the difficult question of when life begins, when those trained in the respective disciplines of medicine, philosophy, and theology are unable to arrive at a consensus, the judiciary at this point in the development of man's knowledge, is not in a position to speculate as to an answer. Although it's hard to imagine medical science has changed that much since its ruling in 1972, every medical biology textbook agrees that life begins at conception. That is not up for debate, at least not among those who believe in science. Furthermore, there is precedent in law for giving the unborn child rights, fetal homicide laws. In 38 states, fetal homicide laws consider it a double homicide if someone kills a pregnant woman. In order for it to be a double homicide, there needs to be two humans killed. If the pregnancy wasn't life, and the woman killed just had a cancerous growth instead, why would there be any special laws for women killed while pregnant? But there aren't similar laws for women who are killed while undergoing cancer treatment. Ironically, both those who support abortion and those who don't support abortion agree on the point that Roe v. Wade is a poorly reasoned mess. If America wants abortion to be legal, it needs to be codified in law, not made into de facto law through a set of activist Supreme Court judges using a gross misinterpretation of a legal precedent. But when it comes to an issue of morality, it does not matter if man has said it's legal. Man's law is not God's law. Even if abortions are legal, if it is immoral for a woman to kill her child out of convenience, then she still stands condemned before God for her actions, even if she does not stand condemned before man. In the same way that prostitution is legal in Las Vegas but forbidden by God, 
and a man or woman may legally engage in prostitution in Las Vegas, they are still breaking God's law and therefore stand condemned before God as a lawbreaker. Section 12. Secular Logic. Safe, Legal, and Rare in Other Illogical Pro-Abortion Arguments. Ben Shapiro has pointed out that this slogan by pro-abortionists in the 90s never made sense. Safe, legal, and rare. If something is not immoral, and it's safe and legal, then why should we desire for it to be rare? And, if it's immoral, and we want it to be rare, like murder and homicide, then why is it legal? A true oxymoron. For better or worse, those who support abortion have changed their tune, and replaced safe, legal, and rare to shout your abortion. The celebration of abortion has gotten to the point that in 2018, on a children's program, two kids got to talk to Amelia Bonau, a feminist founder of the Shout Your Abortion movement. The interview itself is a good example of the anti-science logic that children might fall for. Bonau explains to the children that the process of having a human fetus removed with a little straw was like a bad dentist medicine. When the boy asked if she could have put the baby up for adoption instead, Bonau explained that abortion would have been a bad choice because, I feel like if I'm forced to create life, I have lost the right to my own life. But the life has already begun within her before the abortion even happened. Her claim that killing the life after it has started prevents that life from starting is anti-science and illogical. What she meant to say is that having a baby is a huge inconvenience, but an inconvenient human life is not justification to end that human life. Bonau then goes on to claim that it's all part of God's plan because there are still babies being born. But this is a logical fallacy because babies being born to mothers who want their children isn't justification for moms to kill their unwanted children. The immorality of Bonau is not justified by the morality of another mother. Her next logical fallacy was to compare the human fetus to a sea cucumber, it's not thinking, it's just living. First, by admitting it has life, like the sea cucumber, she negates her previous argument that she is avoiding creating life with the abortion. She has admitted that there is already a life within her womb. The second logical fallacy, already covered, is that consciousness is not a requirement to be human. A human who is asleep or unconscious may not be murdered out of convenience any more than a human who is capable of complex thought. Then she says that pro-life is propaganda because often the people that say that don't want to take care of people who have babies that they can't afford and then are totally poor. Besides that this is a baseless lie without evidence or facts, it does not matter to the morality of abortion if those who argue that abortion is immoral doesn't also want to help raise children who were born in poverty. Bonau's argument and support of abortion are both anti-science and anti-logic, and this interview was grotesque. Another disgusting example of defending abortion comes from Michelle Wolfe, who considers herself to be a comedian. During one of her comedy routines, she said that women only feel shame about abortions because it's only talked about in a legislative way. She then says, in contrast, that her abortion actually made her feel so powerful she felt like God. First, it's nonsense to think that the shame that follows an abortion is because it's not talked about it enough. Second, the fact that she says she felt so powerful that I am God shows that she understands that what she did was smite a human life. Section 13. 
Secular Logic, Planned Parenthood. If an abortion is moral or immoral, it does not matter who makes the logical case, as the logic stands on its own. And evil done by those who support abortion does not, in and of itself, invalidate their logic if they had any logic that supported abortions. However, I think it's important that people who support Planned Parenthood know what their support has bought them. One example of deplorable and illegal activity done by Planned Parenthood was exposed by David Daladin, Planned Parenthood's criminal trade of an aborted baby parts. At first, Planned Parenthood tried to attack the videos of Planned Parenthood executives selling baby parts as unreliable, as they were cuts from original undercover footage and thus unreliable and inadmissible, but when it went to court, it was actually found that the videos were entirely authentic and Planned Parenthood had been breaking the law in selling baby parts and Planned Parenthood could be stripped of its taxpayer subsidies for its illegal practices. Having been exposed for breaking the law, Planned Parenthood then sued Daladin because his undercover journalism was an invasion of their privacy. They wanted their illegal practices hidden, but he exposed them. Although all the recordings had taken place in public places, such as restaurants and hotels, where the participants had no reasonable expectation of privacy, the judge on the case, Judge William Ork, who was not removed from the case despite his overt support of Planned Parenthood, told the jury that he had already decided they must find Dowden guilty of invading their privacy despite the public places. Dowden was then charged $2 million for the undercover journalism that exposed Planned Parenthood. Another example of deplorable and illegal activity done by Planned Parenthood comes from Lilla Rose in the investigative report from Live Nation. The reports document a decade-long list of Planned Parenthood helping child sex abusers hide their evil deeds. They then brought further evidence against Planned Parenthood with a video of four former Planned Parenthood employees testifying and verifying that Planned Parenthood allows victims of human trafficking to continue to be victims of human trafficking and don't step in as law mandates. Section 14. Secular Logic. Unplanned. There is a risk that, by talking about the logic of abortion, it might become a sterile topic, divorced from feelings. For example, Democrat Wendy Ullman, Pennsylvania, said that a dead fetus is just some mess on a napkin. But this would only be true if a murdered adult is just some mess on a carpet. Although feelings do not affect logic, I think it's important that we not lose perspective or lose motivation. There were 623,471 abortions in 2016, and, as Joseph Stalin noted, one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. So I'd recommend that both sides of the abortion argument watch the movie Unplanned, so that you know what you're fighting for, or you know what you're fighting against. Section 15. Secular Logic. The Direction of Abortion in America. Thanks to legislation pushed by the Democrat Party, Eight states now allow for up-to-point-of-birth abortions. Alaska, Colorado, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon, Vermont, and New York. And, although it's not a state, the District of Columbia. Even if a woman is in labor, as long as the abortionist is able to stab the baby in the skull before it emerges from the birth canal, the law passed by Democrats considers this abortion to be legal. Even beyond that, Ralph Northam, the Democrat governor of Virginia, supports afterbirth abortions, where, he, as he said, the infant would be delivered, the infant would be kept comfortable, the infant would be resurrected if that's the wish of the mother and if the family desired, and then a discussion would ensue between the physician and the mother. This discussion is to decide if the baby should be allowed to live. This is also known as infant side, delivering the baby is live, 
and then deciding if it should remain alive or be put down. Section 16. Theological Logic. Intrinsic Value of Humans. Up until this point, every argument against abortion is based entirely in science and logic. In fact, the only argument against abortion that is theological in nature and cannot be derived without God is that Christians believe that humans have intrinsic value. Intrinsic value is value that all humans have and cannot be lost. Even if you forfeit your life by murdering another human, you still have value even though your life is forfeit. An agnostic or atheist may derive relative value or material value from other humans, but if a human is an accident, there is no reason or evidence that an accidental human should have any intrinsic value. If humans weren't created, they could have no more intrinsic value than a dog, cat, tree, or rock, which are also accidents. Without a creator, anyone can say that a human has relative intrinsic value. They may say that a human has more material value than a dog or a rock because of what they have done or have the potential to do. Or they may say that a rock has more value than a human, as happens in the case of blood diamonds. Science cannot derive intrinsic value, nor would we expect it to, as that is not the purpose of science. The only way that humans can have universal intrinsic value is if they were created intentionally and given that value by the Creator. Not only do Christians believe that man was made by God, but that man was made in God's image. Thus, Christians not only value life with intrinsic value, but we value human life above that of the rest of creation and argue for the sanctity of human life and do not argue for the sanctity of animal life or other life. Christians believe that to intentionally kill a human who has done nothing to forfeit his right to life is murder and immoral, while intentionally killing a botfly for convenience or a cow for food is just fine because they are not human or made in God's image. Section 17. Theological Logic. Ancient Passages on Parents Killing Kids. The question of a parent's right to kill their own child isn't new. Thousands of years ago, we see the topic addressed in Deuteronomy 21, 18-21. This is the first time we see an ancient civilization specifically say that a parent doesn't have the unilateral right to kill their own children. Here, they must first bring their child before the elders of the city. Although the passage doesn't give specifics of what disobedience a child 3,000 years ago had to do for his parents to want to kill him, it does call out that they must first bring the child before the elders, and then the whole city was to put the child to death. The Torah was the first time a parent was told that even if they brought the child into the world, that doesn't give them the right to unilaterally decide if they can take the child out as well. Section 18. Abortion Conclusion Scientifically speaking, life begins at conception. A human is a human because they are beget by humans. A human is a human in all stages of human life. A human fetus is a stage of human life that all humans go through. To inter intentionally terminate a pregnancy after conception is killing a human life. To intentionally end the life of a human who has done nothing to forfeit his life is murder. Logically, if murder is immoral, then abortion is immoral, regardless of if you believe in the God of Christianity or not.